0: Hey everybody, welcome to the first episode of Scriptures Revealed. And I am so excited that you have decided to embark on this journey with me of journeying through the Word of the Lord and going through the Word and through the Scriptures line upon line, precept upon precept and allowing the Word of God to change and transform our lives. I am a firm believer in the power of the Word and the power of the Scriptures to totally, that if we would digest it, if we would get it on the inside of us and allow it to begin to renew our minds, to impact our hearts, and and to change how we think and how we view things. We can totally be transformed by nothing else other than the power of the Word of God. That if we would ever think the way God intended us to think, then we would grow and become and develop into the people God has called us to be. So I am excited about this journey. I'm excited about where we're headed. I'm excited about what God is going to do as we journey through the word of the Lord. So uh, what we're going to do this first uh, segment of Scriptures Revealed. Or, or, in other words, I, I'll call it a season. This first season of Scriptures Revealed. We're going to journey through the book of Ephesians. It is absolutely one of my favorite books. I'm absolutely excited about it. Uh, I think we're going to learn an immense amount of things. We're going to grow. We're going to allow the word to change and transform us. So Ephesians is the first book we're going to go through and we are not going to rush through it. Uh, We're going to hit every line. We're going to hit every verse. We're going to hit every word and we're going to unlock the treasures and the secrets that God has stored for us in this amazing book. So I'm excited about this journey. I'm ready to go on the journey with you and I'm ready to dive in. Now, uh, how I'm going to do this is whenever we embark on the study of a new book, uh, and before we even jump into the very first verse, I want to kind of give you a background of the book, especially when you, we're dealing with the epistles. Uh, when we look at an epistle, it is written to a church, and I think it's important to understand the history of that church, how that church was established, who founded that church, so that we can better understand the importance of the message that was written to that church, why God felt the need to write these particular truths to this particular church, because it's going to give us insight about how to unlock it, how to unfold it, and how to apply it to our daily lives. So, the book of Ephesians is going to be no different. So, in all all actuality, the story of the Ephesus church does not start in Ephesians chapter 1. It actually starts in the book of Acts, and that's where we're going to start. On this first episode, we're going to deal with the backdrop of the church of Ephesus. So, that church starts in Acts chapter 19. Acts 19 uh, is where we're going to start today. So let's go there. You have your Bibles. You're going to hear my pages turning uh, so your pages can turn or you can flip on your electronic device to Acts chapter 19. And I'm using the uh, International Standard Version uh, primarily as we do this study. Uh, Sometimes I may use other versions, but primarily this one. So uh, we're going to Acts chapter 19. Now, when you go to this, uh, we're going to find that Paul is the one that established the church in Ephesus, the Apostle Paul, a tremendous man of God who started out as a very religious man, but then had an encounter with God. Now, that will teach and preach all by itself that it's possible to to be religiously taught, to be religiously raised, to be in, in and around a religious environment and yet not know the Lord. Because Paul was a religious man. He was de- devoted to the system and the rules and the regulations of his religion. But he had not had an encounter with God. And through that encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul became one of the most prominent men in the New Testament and he established a lot of churches, built a lot of churches on the foundation of Jesus Christ, on the foundation of the apostles and the, and the prophets and, and, and built and, and built and preached the kingdom of God and, and persuaded the people about the kingdom of God. This man was tremendous. So we learn uh, that Paul is the one that started The church in Ephesus, or that is what is uh, primarily believed that if he did not actually start the church, Paul had great influence on the church and great influence on the church actually becoming more established than what it was, because we learn here in the book of Acts, uh, Paul arrives. Uh, he passes through the inland country and came to Ephesus. This is Acts 19 verse 1. And there he found some disciples. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And John said, I'm sorry, and Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance. Telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. And there were about 12 men and all. Now, I want to stop here because we're going to walk through this journey as Paul builds and establishes this church. And then it's going to make sense once we jump into the actual book of Ephesians why Paul is saying the things he said, the importance of it, and what Paul is combating in that particular situation and church. But here we gain insight that Paul goes into the city of Ephesus, and there are already disciples there, There, which means there are already people who are followers of the way, is what they called it. Uh, At this this time, they were not called Christians. They were just called disciples of the way, that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and these people had chosen to become disciples of the way, that if you want to get to the Father, you've got to go by the way. If you want everything that God has to offer to you. You've got to go. you got to go by the way. If you want to receive everything that the kingdom of God is invested with, you've got to go through the door called the way. And so these disciples were uh, disciples of the way. But interesting enough, Paul gets to this city and Paul learns something very interesting that though they were disciples of the way, the only thing they knew about God and the only thing they knew about their Savior and the only thing they knew about the kingdom was John's baptism. And John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. Now, I am a preacher of repentance. I am a teacher of repentance. I believe in the doctrine of repentance. I believe there is no access to the kingdom without repentance. I believe there is no progressive, successful, effective, fruitful relationship with God without repentance. But I also believe that if all you know about God is the baptism of repentance, your walk with God is going to be labeled by three things. And I want you to write these three things down. When your relationship with God is nothing, I mean, there's nothing about your relationship with God other than the doctrine of repentance. Eventually, you're going to find yourself living a life under guilt. Living your life under shame. And living your life under condemnation. I'm going to say that to you again. When you live your life with knowledge of nothing but the baptism of repentance, you're going to live your life under guilt. You're going to live your life under shame. And you're going to live your life under condemnation. So how do I how do I know that? Let's walk through this. Insight here is that repentance is like opening the door to a relationship with God. If you ever want to open a door, if you ever feel like the door is closed between you and God, if you ever feel that way, the way you open that door is through repentance. What is repentance? Repentance, it is God, I'm sorry, and I'm going to change my mind about or change the way I think, change my mind, change the way I think about this particular heart posture, this particular life behavior, this particular way that I'm going. So it is I'm sorry, I'm guilty of this, but I'm going to change my mind about what I think about it. Now, there's doctrine out today that says repentance has nothing to do with guilt. Well, that's absolutely absurd, and that has nothing to do with the actual definition of that word, repentance. That there can be no repentance without an admittance of guilt. You must admit, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I I did this. There is a feeling of sorrow about it. There, that's why the Bible says that godly sorrow leads to repentance. So there is a sense of godly sorrow, a grievance, of guilt, of I'm sorry I went that way. I'm sorry I did that. I'm sorry I thought that way about that thing. And so repentance is, I'm sorry, but I'm going to change my mind about it. And these disciples knew nothing. They lived their entire Christian life. We can put it that way. They lived their entire Christian life based on God, I'm sorry, and I've got to change the way I think about a thing. And when all you, when you don't live, see, repentance is wonderful, but at some point we've got to move on from repentance and move into spirit-led living. You know, the book of Galatians talks about that those who are, uh, walk in the spirit will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That That is the higher life to live. That, that It is not the best life to live a life saying God I'm sorry. I'm going to change my mind about it. God I'm sorry. God I'm sorry. God please forgive me of this and it's the same. It becomes a cycle but the higher life of the Christian and what Jesus Christ has made possible for all of us to experience is not a life of sorrow but it's a life of I can be led by the spirit of God. I can be empowered by the spirit of God. That I don't have to listen to my fleshly desires. Yes, my flesh may scream, but the spirit of Christ on the inside of me screams even the louder. And yes, my flesh has desires, but the desires of the spirit of Christ on the inside of me screams even the louder. And so Paul walked in to this city with disciples who knew nothing but God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry. I need to change my mind. But Paul said what you all need is not just the doctrine of repentance, but you all need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You need this endowment of power that will empower you not only to say, God, I'm sorry, and I changed my mind. But now, not only am I sorry, but I have received the power of the Spirit of God to totally come in and change me, rearrange me, transform me, and conform me to the image of Christ. Paul knew that they needed power because without the power to change, all I'm left with is sorrow. that's all I'm left with. and so Paul walked into the city of Ephesus and he rescued these men out of a cycle of guilt, out of a cycle of shame and out of out of a cycle of condemnation. because when when all you do I'm reiterating this because I want us to get it when all you know is repent is repent. tell God you're sorry. Change, what, change your mind about a thing. Tell God you're sorry. Change your mind about a thing. But you do, do not have the power of the Holy Spirit. You are an open candidate for guilt. You're going to always be guilty because you're going to always be apologizing for something and you're going to always be telling God I, you need to change your mind about a thing. But that, that puts you in a works mentality. We've got to get past telling God we're sorry and move into the power of the Holy Spirit. So Ephesus at this time... Uh, It has disciples in it, but there are disciples in there that are put in a cycle of guilt. They're shameful. They're full of condemnation because they know God is holy. They know God is righteous. They know they are unholy without him. They know they are unrighteous without him. And so they just keep coming to God asking for forgiveness over and over and over because that's all they know. But Paul wanted to introduce these disciples to a level of life. That made them rise above just the doctrine of repentance. Made them rise above just the, the the possibility that gave them, in other words, gave them a the possibility of living life above and beyond sorrow. That's the Christian life. That's the great watch this. But look 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 back at this verse, chapter 19. Let's go down to verse 8. And it says, And he entered the synagogue, and for three months. Spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Watch this. Paul could start giving them insight about the kingdom of God after he led them into the baptism of the Holy Spirit. After he began to teach them that, you know what? Yes, you need to repent. Yes, you need to have godly sorrow. Yes, you need to change your mind about sin. And yes, you need to look at sin and feel about sin and think about sin the same way God does. But on the other side of that is access to an entire kingdom. There is a kingdom to be had. There is a kingdom that needs to be advanced. See, I'm I'm convinced Sybar on this that our job as Christians is to advance the kingdom of God, but it's hard to advance a kingdom we do not understand, we do not believe in, we don't know what's available to us. See, it's hard to advance a kingdom. It's hard to represent a kingdom that we have very little insight about. And Paul is saying, I'm going to preach and persuade you all about the kingdom because now I've gotten you past sorrow, godly sorrow, and asking for forgiveness. See, when we talk about witnessing to the world, You know why I'm convinced that we don't understand the kingdom? Because when we talk about Witnessing to the world, the only thing we know to tell them is, is we preach godly sorrow and we preach repentance and we preach you need your sins forgiven. But, but there's more to the kingdom than that. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, I want you to go into all the world and preach the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom. Repentance is just step number one. There is more to the kingdom of God. There is more we have to offer the world than that they are filthy. There is a kingdom that we are trying to offer them. Because it's a kingdom that we're trying to advance. Does that make sense? So, Paul went in and he didn't just preach forgiveness. He didn't just preach you need to be sorry for what you've done. He didn't just preach that you need to feel dirty and filthy and get your life together. Sure, he preached that, but he didn't stop there. He went on to tell them about a kingdom. He went on to tell them about a king. He went on to tell them about their rights as citizens. All right? Are we gaining insight here? Remember, all of this is the backdrop for the book of Ephesians is the backdrop. So when Paul goes in and starts persuading them about the kingdom, he C- Paul is concerned about the church in Ephesus understanding the kingdom. Do we get that? Do, do you get that? Paul is concerned about the church in Ephesus understanding the kingdom. That puts us now I'm going to I want us to understand why we are doing this or why I'm starting here. So when we get over into the book of Ephesians and we go through chapter 1, go through chapter 2 and so on and so on, We've got to look at every verse as Paul's intention is to get us to become persuaded about a kingdom, to get us to become persuaded about what's available to us. What's available to us because there's godly sorrow. What's available to us because we've said, God, I'm sorry, and I repent, and I changed my mind about that thing, and I want to be just as disgusted by sin as you are. When that happens, The door opens to us for an entire kingdom. And Paul wanted the church in Ephesus to be aware of that. So he teaches them and he persuades them. But watch this. But when some, this is verse 9. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation. Remember, it was called the way then. It wasn't called Christianity. It was the way. So speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him. Reasoning daily in the Hall of Tyranus, This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So for two years, Paul taught and he reasoned and he persuaded them about the kingdom. And in the middle of persuasion, what's going on here? People are becoming stubborn. People are choosing to continue in unbelief. People are continuing to choose to be an unbeliever. That that gives us another insight about faith. Faith is not an emotional experience. It is a decision. Say that to you again. Faith is not an emotional experience alone. I should say, faith is not an emotional experience alone. Sure, you can be have an emotional experience and or a sensational experience with God, but the bottom line of it is faith is a decision because Paul spent three months and two years teaching them, persuading them, reasoning with them about the kingdom of God, and yet some people still chose to be stubborn and still chose to be in unbelief. And then we go through. So Paul has opened up a whole new world to the to the city of Ephesus and the church in Ephesus about the kingdom of God. He has pushed them past guilt. He has pushed them past shame. He has liberated them from condemnation. He has shown them that the way you stop going back to the past is you realize that God has a future for you. I mean, that is good news that is good news. That is the gospel. The way you stop waddling, uh, old Southern turn, waddling in your sin in the mud of your sins is you realize that there's a, a house for you to go to. Same thing for the prodigal son. The 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 way for you to come out of the pig's pen is for you to remember that you have a father who owns a mansion, who has servants, who has full of who is full of a provision, abundant provision for you. You've got to realize that there's something else. To be had. There's something else to grab a hold to. And Paul walked into the city of Ephesus came across a group of disciples and he began to preach this good news to them that you know what I know you guys have understood repentance I know you guys understand confessing your sins I know you guys understand being sorry for it but I'm here to preach to you the good news that the reason why you can't break out of cycles is because you don't realize that there's a kingdom to be had the reason why you can't walk in victory over certain things is because you don't realize that there's a kingdom to be had the reason why there are having- that you seem like you cannot break. It is because there is a kingdom that is available to you that you have not been taught how to access, how to live in, how to advance it, how to demonstrate it, and how to manifest it so that other people can become a part of it. Now, that is the backdrop for the book of Ephesians. Is Paul, again, is trying to tell a, a group of people, a group of believers that I... So, the book of Ephesians, we're going to gain insight is going to help any Christian believer is going to help them break out of habits that they haven't been able to break out of. I mean, this it is a victorious book. It's going to help us break out of habits. It's going to help us break out of cycles. It's going to help us realize that there's more to life than living like a, a a low life. There's more to life than living in the pig's pen. That there's more to life than going around the same mountain over and over and over again. That it's possible to learn how to grow up. It's possible to learn how to mature in the things of God. It's possible to learn how to walk in victory and how to walk in overcoming power. How to be victorious victorious, how to be triumphant. This is what Paul goes in and is building the church of Ephesus on. He's teaching them victory is possible in this life for the Christian. I mean, that, that makes this book very glorious. That makes this book amazing. That makes this book wonderful, that every time I read something, and you know, when Paul talks to me about the blessings that are available to me, when Paul talks to me about how to uh, put off things and put on things, when Paul talks to me about spiritual warfare, when he talks to me about how husbands should love their wives and how wives should submit to their husbands, all of it are all of those things are keys to victory. It is keys to how to walk in overcoming power in and, and, and the kingdom of God. So Paul does that for the uh, church in Ephesus. He does that, and then we get we read on down through Acts nineteen, and you're gonna. Learn About There we have the sons of Sceva because what happens is once Paul breaks guilt, shame and condemnation off of them, he's able now to move in miracles. When he breaks that off of them and he preaches the gospel of the kingdom and persuades them about the kingdom, Paul is now able, the Bible says that Paul in that particular city did special miracles. The Bible says special miracles by the hands of Paul. So, I mean, and, and I mean special wonderful things. So we see a whole new dimension of the miraculous open up. Why? As a result of Paul preaching the kingdom. He opens up the kingdom to them. And so miracles start happening. So that gives us insight to, again about the book of Ephesus and we, uh, uh, the book of Ephesians, excuse me. And we began to read that book and study that book and meditate on that book and even memorize that book and assimilate that book into our inner man, and we allow that book to come alive in us, it's going to move us into a dimension of miracles that that could be labeled special. They were special miracles. What opened that up, though, was that Paul preached the kingdom. Paul preached What what we're going to discover in the book of Ephesians, there are wonderful things in that book. And the more we grow in it, the more we dig in it, we're going to see miracles in our lives. We're going to see the miraculous open up because the, the miraculous is a part of the culture of the kingdom. Miracles is a kingdom culture thing. It's a part of the kingdom's culture it is it is a cultural happenstance so we go through uh, the rest of the book of acts and and Paul um operates in miracles and then you have the sons of Sceva come and and they get uh they try to operate like Paul is operating but they they don't have access to the kingdom and so the enemy uh jumps on them and 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 beats them up and beats them out of their clothes and then they run off um but then we notice also in the book of uh acts chapter 19 Paul then encounters and says that a riot takes place in Ephesus. I want to look at that. So what happens is Paul goes into Ephesus and he starts preaching the kingdom. And then the people in the city that serves other gods become upset. Now, that's very interesting. What's interesting about that is that the people in the city become upset. With Paul preaching the kingdom and they become upset because of they worship other gods. So what what does that give us insight to is that when the gospel of the kingdom is really preached, all other idols should should begin to lose the right to their thrones. So the gospel of the kingdom is not being preached if you can receive Jesus and you can still have idols over here. If your loyalty belongs more to this person or this thing than it does to the kingdom of God. If your loyalty belongs to this, more to this person or this thing than it does to the Lord God Almighty himself, then the gospel of the kingdom has not been preached. Because when Paul preached the gospel of the kingdom, the Bible says that a riot broke out because they wanted to protect their gods. They wanted to protect their gods, but and Paul, all Paul did was keep preaching the kingdom. You don't, we don't read in the book of Acts of of Paul calling a, a, a all night prayer vigil to tear down the the strongholds in the heavenlies, and we're gonna get. And Paul teaches the church in Ephesus about spiritual warfare, so there is a such thing as spiritual warfare. But I believe we we are taught things that are not scripturally based, um, because there are there are war tactics. That Paul did in the, in the city of, of Ephesus as he was building the church. As he was building the church, he was also fighting off principalities and powers in that city. Now, this is all the groundwork, again, of Paul in the city of Ephesus. Cause I think if we understand how Paul went in, how Paul established the church, we're going to get a better understanding of how to walk through the book of Ephesians. So, uh, Paul goes into the city and there is a riot. I mean, a riot. And Paul continues to preach. And so I'm going, uh, to close this episode because I only got about five minutes left. And I want to give you, uh, the five, uh, spiritual war tactics that Paul used in the city of Ephesus. The five spiritual war tactics that Paul used in the city of Ephesus that allowed him to build and to fight. Because whenever you're building, you got to know how to fight. And whenever you're fighting, you've got to know how to build. How to, we see that even in the book of Nehemiah. When uh, Nehemiah went back to rebuild the walls of the city, the Bible says that Nehemiah told them, you know what, we're going to be on this wall and we're going to build with one hand and we're going to have a sword in the other. So we're going to build and we're going to fight. Because if you do not know how to fight, then what you build will not last. Say that to you again. If you do not know how to fight, then what you build will not last. But if you do not know how to build, then you will live your life always in fight mode and never have nothing to show for it. You'll never have anything to show. These people, what you end up doing is living life in self-preservation mode. You're just trying to survive. You're not thriving. You're not living the abundant life. You're not reigning. You're not ruling. You're not conquering. All you are doing is trying to survive. Every testimony you have is, I survived. I, I got over. I got over to the other side. But there's nothing you're building. You're not building anything. You're not building anything. And everybody is not gonna build an enterprise or build something, uh, that's huge, that's world renowned. But, but everybody should be building something. You should be building a family. You should be building your manhood. You should be building in your singleness. You should be building your wife or build, or, or help build a vision or, or build a church or build a business or build, you should be building something. Everything about your life shouldn't just be a fight. You ought to be building And you ought to be fighting. You ought to be building and you ought to be fighting. Because it is doing the two together that helps us occupy till he comes, as Jesus put it. We've got to occupy. We've got to advance the kingdom of God. And the key to that is we've got to learn how to build and we've got to learn how to fight. So there were five war tactics that Paul used in the city of Ephesus. And I think we're going to gain great insight about spiritual warfare even in these tactics. Number one, a war tactic for Paul. Was the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Paul went into a city. Now in the city of Ephesus. And I'm going to hit it more next week for you. About what was going on also in this city. Uh so that we can pull all that together, so next week we're gonna continue the introduction, and then the following week we're gonna jump right into the actual book of Ephesians because I think we'll have a good groundwork uh laid for you but we we look at the city of Ephesus, there is idolatry everywhere, there are demonic forces everywhere the the culture is infested with demonism with, uh with uh yeah demonism. The the culture is infested with it. There are demons operating everywhere. I mean demonic forces moving everywhere from the government to the politics to the family homes to the religious institutions to uh to the entertainment industries to the arts and to in the families. Demons are operating everywhere they turn. And so Paul moves into the city, not going on prayer visuals, which are wonderful, not going on prayer walks, which are wonderful. But what he does is five things. And number one, he gives Gets people baptized with the Holy Ghost because the baptism of the Holy Ghost is actually a war move. And we'll talk more about that as we, we're going to learn and we're going to gain insight about that in the actual book of Ephesians. So the baptism of the Holy Ghost is a war move. Number two, preaching and teaching the kingdom of God is a war move because if I can preach, if I can preach the kingdom of God, then I can prick the hearts of men to believe in, in the kingdom. I can prick their hearts to believe there is something that is possible that is higher, that is greater, that is more abundant than the life I'm living. And if I can teach the kingdom of God, I can get people to change the way they think about the life they are living. It is a war move. It's a war move. Preaching and teaching the kingdom of God. And we're going to learn more about that. These are just five war tactics that we see in in Acts chapter 19 that Paul did when he moved in, when he went to the city of Ephesus. To establish and build this church. He got people baptized with the Holy Ghost. That was a war move. He preached and taught the kingdom of God. That was a war move. Number three, miracles. We see Paul performing special miracles. That was a war move. That all of these things excited that riot. It got people anxious. The people then started rioting because... Paul was blowing a shofar to, to break up the demonic forces in the in the air or, or was pulling down demonic principalities. We don't know. The riots didn't start. The persecution didn't start because of that. It started because Paul was getting people baptized with the Holy Ghost. He was preaching and teaching the kingdom of God. He was performing miracles. We also see that number four, a tactic of Paul, was the operation of the spirit of the fear of the Lord. That the, the spirit of the fear of the Lord is a war move. That if we could, we would operate in the fear of the Lord. And the Bible says that the fear of the Lord can be taught. So if it can be taught, I assure you, we're going to learn the fear of the Lord in the book of Ephesians. So the fear of the Lord was a war tactic. And number five, Paul simply exalted the name of the Lord. He exalted the name of the Lord. And him exalting the name of the Lord was a war mood. It upset Satan. It upset the demonic forces in that arena. And it advanced the kingdom of God in the city of Ephesus. That, that is, that is what Paul moved into that city doing for the kingdom of God, building a church, building a people on, on the fact that the kingdom of God is available for anybody that wants to break out, that anybody that wants to break through, anybody that wants to advance, anybody that wants to be promoted, anybody that wants access to a greater life. This is what Paul began to preach to the people in the city of Ephesus, and it was the basis of the preaching To the church of Ephesus. It is the basis and the groundwork for the book of Ephesians. Well, that's all the time I have for you all this week. I am so delighted again that you all have decided to join me on this journey and I'm excited about what we are going to learn. So please join me again next week and we're going to finish this introduction to Ephesians. It's going to be part two. I'm going to finish it up for you and then week three we are jumping into chapter one of the book of of Ephesians and absolutely we're probably next week I may hit verse one and two. Um, We'll see how far we get. Thank you again for joining me. Love you all